If you have a Bible, and I hope you or somebody around you does that you can look on with, let me invite you to open with me to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 30 in a minute. And as you're turning, I want to welcome those of you who are in Loudoun and Prince William, Montgomery County, and Arlington, as well as those of you who are online. It's good to be together around God's Word at the conclusion of this two-week spring break mission trip in Metro Washington, D.C. So if you've been here the last two Sundays, we saw two weeks ago Jesus send out his disciples on a short-term mission trip. And we said, we're going to join in. And so we've challenged and encouraged each other to spend intentional time over the last two weeks sharing the gospel with family and friends and neighbors and coworkers and total strangers. And today we come to the time when, so in verse 30, if you look at it, it says the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. So the beginning of our time here together today, I want us to think about all that you have done and taught over the last couple of weeks. So if we were on a mission trip somewhere else in the world right now, we would likely sit around wherever we are at night and we'd share different stories of what had happened during the day with each other. What did we see? How did it go? What is God teaching us? And along the way, if I was leading that discussion, I'd try to point out different things that we can learn from what God has done and is doing. So this is going to be like a big debriefing across all these places where we're gathered right now. And I want to share some different stories that you have sent in. And as I do, just imagine different people sharing these stories. And then along the way, I'm going to put a few truths on the screen that we can learn together from what God has done over the last couple of weeks. You might write them down. Here goes. We'll start with one couple in our church family who intentionally invited a neighboring couple over for dinner to share the gospel, to share the good news of God's love in Jesus with them. And the wife wrote, over dinner, we danced around the gospel a few different times, and my husband and I were even laughing after dinner because he accidentally kept steering the conversation away from what could have been gospel openings, not toward them. He later admitted he was chickening out a few times when he saw opportunities in the conversation, but he redeemed himself the following week. We'll get there in the next story. However, I was pretty determined to not leave dinner without sharing the gospel, so she goes on to explain how she did, and they ended up having a really good dinner conversation around the gospel before dinner was over, a conversation that they're confident they can follow up with in the days ahead. And then she said, my husband redeemed himself the next week. She said... Since the fall, he's been building relationships with a few Afghan refugee families that he met through some home setups and other connections. He went to one of their homes on Tuesday night just to catch up with some of these men, and they were sitting around talking. The topic of Ramadan came up. My husband started to ask questions about Ramadan and Islam. He then asked if they would mind if he shared what he believes and was able to share the gospel from start to finish. These men had heard a little bit about Christianity, but mostly through TV. Now they heard it all, some of them for the first time. And because it was a small apartment, there were several other members of this Afghan family who overheard the gospel. One of the men asked my husband if Christians had books like the Quran. He'd never heard of the Bible before Tuesday night. 
Now, there wasn't a radical end to that story, but we thank God for the power of his spirit because my husband prayed eagerly for more boldness, practiced his gospel presentation several times before going to meet with them. And some Afghan men and women heard the gospel for the first time in person. So, what can we learn from this? Well, here's at least two truths. Yeah, praise God for that. Here's at least two truths to take away. One, some people you are sharing with the gospel with may never have heard it before. And what a good reminder that, and I, and I heard this on, on, in different stories. So we don't live in an unreached part of the world where people don't have access to the gospel. People definitely have access to the gospel here in the form of thousands of Christians across our city in many different churches, some of whom we were just praying for here at Tyson's. But that doesn't mean that everybody in our city has heard the truth about Jesus. So realize many of the people around us may have never heard the gospel before. And then here's a second takeaway from that. Pray for boldness and be prepared for opportunities. I I love how the honesty in the first story kind of shrunk back from sharing the gospel. But in the next story, he was sharing with these Afghan, Afghan family, these Afghan men and women. Why? Because he had prayed continually for boldness. And practice, like, what would it look like for me to share the gospel? Be intentional along these lines. And I heard different people saying, yeah, I I, I shrunk back when I had an opportunity. Pray for boldness. There's a reason why all throughout the New Testament we see the church praying for boldness. Because this is something we are tempted to do, to be timid with the gospel. So to pray intentionally for boldness boldness. And then find others to encourage you. It's good to have a, uh, so in this picture, a husband and wife saying, wife saying, hey, you kind of chickened out on me and you left me hanging. And so to work together in that. So this is where, whether it's in a couple or with friends in a church group, like be involved in a church group where you're encouraging each other to share the gospel. And yes, and when it comes to preparing for opportunities, maybe do some evangelism training, either at your location or online. Uh, go search gospel threads and then put my name in and you'll come up with a variety of things that can help you think through how to share the gospel in the context of everyday life. Maybe we'll walk through that at some point here. But be prepared wherever you go. So many different stories of people sharing the gospel with neighbors at the mailbox, with roommates, on a walk with the dogs, at the gym, at work, on a university campus, in a classroom, on the metro, Union Station, Trader Joe's, Starbucks, and an Uber. Stories from all these different places. At a park, these two brothers uh, sharing the gospel with this guy on the right. And the guy said, I have no doubt in my mind that God brought both of you to share this with me today. So I love it. Just different pictures of, of, of couples, of parents with kids, of friends sharing the gospel together, which leads to the next truth. So look for opportunities to share the gospel in everyday life. Just in everyday life, the opportunities that are there. So I love this one from a ninth grader. Hello, Pastor Platt. I'm not sure if you remember me, but I'm the kid who said that you look like Tom Brady. As of now, you just announced that you're coming out of your retirement to play for the Buccaneers again. Bad idea. So anyway, that aside, on a serious note, within the past few months, some of you are like, you don't look like Tom Brady. It's like, I'm not saying I do. This is from this great ninth grader who thinks I look like the greatest football quarterback of all time. So I'm just going to receive that and move on. So... 
On a serious note, within the past few months, I've been trying to find moments to share the gospel with some of my closest friends. As we're all freshmen in high school, grades and school life are at the epicenter of our focus as we progress through school. Many of my friends regularly tell me how stressed they are about their grades, how they find life to sometimes feel meaningless. I find this to be a perfect opportunity to share my view on life. So over the last two weeks, I told them in a conversation along these lines that as a Christian, I understand the importance of my grades and working hard to glorify God. At the same time, I know that these worldly things do not take priority in my life, but Jesus does. I share with them that I don't easily get stressed or let grades take over my life because I know that I'm saved through Jesus Christ. I know that ultimately I have been born again into a new hope and will soon get to spend eternity in heaven with Jesus. After the initial sharing of my perspective, one of my friends recently shared some amazing news with me a couple days ago. He said that he had randomly found a Bible in his house, was curious about its contents, ended up reading all of Genesis by his own volition. Overjoyed with that news, I told him he should read the book of John if he wanted. We can have more of a conversation about who Jesus is. That's a ninth grader with a very different perspective on life, everyday life, because of Jesus in his life. Yes, let's praise God for his grace. May, may God multiply that across students all across our church family, and not just students, but may we show them what that looks like in action. Like different people, and work. I, I loved this one. So one physician had a moment with his, officials, his physician's assistant and a patient of theirs. The physician's assistant is not a follower of Jesus, and so this patient had a Christian T-shirt on, So the physician from our church family asked this person with the Christian t-shirt what it meant and then followed up by basically saying, can you share what you believe with me? That patient ended up sharing the gospel. And as a result, the physician's assistant heard the gospel through the patient. So just everyday life and then was able to follow up with that conversation with the physician's assistant. And then one that came in last night. This uh, brother said, uh, I've always been timid about sharing the gospel at work. As a people leader, I was always worried about making someone feel uncomfortable or crossing a line between business and personal. However, I realized that many times these are just excuses I was creating and showing my lack of faith in the gospel. So this past week, I had a business lunch with a distributor I'd worked with for years. I'd been praying every morning for certain people to share the gospel with. So go back to be praying for boldness, be prepared for opportunities. So I've been praying. And this name popped into my head. So the entire drive there, I prayed that God would open a door for me to boldly share. After an hour and a half of talking business, we were about to leave the lunch. And I knew I did not want to drive back home having been timid again. So I asked what he did over the weekend and casually mentioned that I had attended a class at church offering advice on raising children. There was a pause and he asked, so you are pretty religious, huh? I knew it was God opening a door. We talked for 15 minutes about what he believed, he's agnostic, and I share with him what I believe as a Christian. I told him what the gospel was. He then told me his, father, his mother was in the hospital and only had six months to live, and this was really tough on him. He let me pray for her in the middle of the restaurant. And while he didn't trust in Jesus that afternoon, he told me he really wanted to think about what we had discussed. I told him I want him to have the assurance of heaven and to call me if he wanted to discuss further. I plan on following up with him in the weeks to come and praying for him. And he said, I now feel so excited and emboldened to share the gospel, knowing the Holy Spirit can be working in anyone's life. And I just need to follow his command and be intentional about starting the conversation. It changes work conversations 
when you realize you're talking to someone and you want them to have the assurance of heaven. Like this picture of everyday life and other stories of people using music or hobbies or common interests to lead to gospel conversations. And, and I should add to this, look for opportunities to share the gospel in everyday life with everyday love. So many different stories of people reaching out in love to others, serving in different ministries, taking the elderly to the grocery store, caring for neighbors in different ways, and sharing the gospel along the way. And then be sensitive to opportunities to share the gospel in unplanned ways at unexpected times. So I heard a variety of different stories of people making plans and those plans not working out, but God redirecting in a way they didn't see coming. One Saturday, one mom had set aside time with her family to go out sharing the gospel in a particular way, and things fell through at every turn. And in a long story that she didn't see coming that day, one of her own children who had not yet put their faith in Jesus, who they were going to go out together with, they ended up having a gospel conversation, and that child decided to put his faith in Jesus. So she had planned to lead someone else outside her home to Jesus and ended up leading someone inside her home to Jesus. That's a good redirection of plans. Then one other woman looking for opportunities that kept closing, and then in a way, it was kind of a roundabout story of some background behind it that I won't go into. She found herself on the phone with a man in California battling with colon cancer. She ended up sharing the gospel with him and praying with him. So that leads to another truth. Leverage unique opportunities to share the gospel around the world. With different stories, whether it's sharing uh, the gospel with somebody in California. One bre- brother shared, a, his, shared his faith with his coworkers on a Zoom call with coworkers from literally all around the world. Another brother was here two Sundays ago. He was leaving the next day to go to the Middle East on business for two weeks. He said this was a great reminder to him that he wasn't just going to the Middle East to make money. He was going to the Middle East to spread the gospel. How many of us in this church family travel? Could it be that God has called us to travel, not just for our jobs, but for the spread of his grace and his glory in the world? God has created avenues for us to be a part of what he's doing in all kinds of places through business travel. God, help us to see with these kinds of eyes. Let mission with Jesus transform the way you think about work travel. And not just when we travel, leverage unique opportunities to share the gospel here with people from around the world. So many different stories of people sharing the gospel with people from different ethnicities who speak different languages and people who are now getting Bibles in those languages to give to them. I would, I would encourage you, uh, there's an app called Bible.is. Bible.is, and basically what it is, download this app and have it on your phone whenever you are sharing the gospel with someone who speaks a different language, because it has basically for most every language uh, that the Bible has been translated into, it has, and, and there's an audio version of it, it has it on that app. And so, like, I was in uh, an Uber with uh, a guy who is from West Africa. I asked him how many different languages he speaks, and he, he said around, like, 17 different languages and dialects. And I was like, that's amazing. I know English and Greek and Latin and Hebrew, which are all dead languages. I can't speak in anything but English. And uh, he's like, well, and he starts telling me this. And so I pull up this app, and I'm like, and I, just, I say, what was that one you mentioned? And he mentions this one. And I pull up John chapter 3 in that language. And I just say, listen to this. 
and he is hearing the Bible in his language, and he's like, this is amazing. I have not heard my language spoken in so long. And to be able to do that in all kinds of Bible.is, I would encourage you to download that app, have it ready, and then you can actually uh, send that app. So you, if they're listening to it, you say, hey, if you want to hear more, here's the app, and you can just airdrop it to them or text it to them, and then they can download it and listen to it on their own. So leverage unique opportunities to share the gospel here with people from around the world. And then, all right, two more truths for today. We could go on and on, but two more. One, don't ever give up on sharing the gospel with someone. So I loved this story. Uh, Brother wrote in and said, David, about 10 years ago, I was leading a meeting with a client working through some difficult issues. It was not a good meeting to say the least. During a short break, a key leader on my team who was visiting the U.S. from Calcutta, India, asked me, how can you stay so calm in the midst of this angry environment? Despite the perfect setup she had provided, I did not take advantage of the opportunity to share the gospel with her. And the Lord has been reminding me about this regularly ever since. That was 10 years ago. Though I retired from that career a couple of years ago, I've kept in touch with her. So as a part of this two-week mission trip, I reached out and suggested a call to catch up. And we spoke on Friday, and in the course of that conversation, I finally answered her question accurately by sharing the gospel with her. And I apologize for not sharing it all those years ago. We had a good talk and committed to staying connected. Please pray for, and it lists her name. So to, to picture this, this, okay, I've missed an opportunity in the past, but it's not too late, whether it's for the coworker, so many different stories of people sharing the gospel in similar ways with aging parents. They've shared the gospel with before, and they went back one more time. And not that that's the last time, but you know, with uh, adult children, maybe who one day were in church but have wandered from church. So some family members, friends who have heard the gospel, but they shared again, different people shared the gospel again over the last couple of weeks. Don't ever give up on sharing the gospel with someone and don't ever lose confidence in the gospel's power to save anyone. It was so, I remember one brother was sharing, uh, as I was reading over the last couple of weeks, about a ministry for criminal offenders who are physically prohibited from coming to church because of their offense in the past. And he shared the gospel with one man who said, I know I'm going to hell. And even after hearing the gospel, this man still wasn't ready to trust in Jesus. But this brother in our church family said, I trust that I was faithful to share it, and I am praying and hoping and pleading that in time he will believe it. And I love that last line because, well, many times we don't share the gospel, honestly, because we don't have confidence in the power of the gospel. We think they won't believe it. Like that is more a commentary on our confidence in the gospel than it is their actual spiritual state. So let's open our eyes to the temptation to lose confidence in the gospel's power to save, believing that this gospel is the power of God for the salvation of anyone who believes. So, so much we can learn as we're involved on mission. Don't miss it. We will not learn all these things if we are silent with the gospel. We'll only learn these things and grow in Christ and see God work in others' lives when we speak the gospel. So all that now leads us 
into this passage from Mark. So with all these things, can you imagine Jesus and his disciples coming together and sharing all that they had done and taught in these ways? And Jesus beginning to debrief with them. And they start to realize this is only the beginning. In a way that, well, I'm I'm guessing you saw this coming. Today is not really the end of anything when it comes to mission. Because this is our life as followers of Jesus. We live on a mission trip as long as we're in this world. And when we get to heaven, we won't be sharing the gospel anymore with people to lead them to Jesus. We'll be celebrating the gospel forever. So we're on a mission trip from now until then, wherever we go, whoever we're around. And this is where I just want to encourage us as a church in this city where over 5 million people are in need of Jesus, in a world where over 3 billion people don't have access to the gospel right now, I want to encourage us in the same ways as Jesus encouraged these disciples. So four specific ways. You might write them down as they come back from this mission trip. And all start with R, so maybe just to help you remember them. So the first word is rest. This is how I want to encourage us. One, let's rest in relationship with Jesus. Rest in relationship with Jesus. So watch what happened on this day when their mission trip ended. Starting in verse 31, Jesus said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away into, in, in the boat to a desolate place. That's the second time we see that phrase, by themselves, just them and Jesus. I love this. There is At this point, so much to do in the world for Jesus. Multitudes of people in need of Jesus. Yet at the same time, it's really good to take time just to be with Jesus. And with others around Jesus. So don't miss the picture here. Mission is the overflow of relationship with Jesus. And specifically, love for Jesus. Think about it this way. I've heard different people say over the last couple weeks, I need training in how to share about Jesus with others. And I think that's a good impulse. So go for it. Like I mentioned, talk to your location pastor about training along those lines or dive in on your own, like search gospel threads in my name or search evangelism and the gospel coalition. You'll find a variety of great articles. Or read a book like The Gospel and Personal Evangelism by Mark Dever, who pastors in our city down in the district at CHBC. Or Max Stiles, Marks of the Messenger. Or has a book just called Evangelism. So that's, that's opportunities you have for you today to dive into that. At the same time, I want to encourage you that you can share about Jesus with others without training. I am confident of it. Let me illustrate. Grandparents are notorious for talking about who? Grandkids. So over the last couple weeks, our family at one point was at an assisted living center in our community, and I heard a lot about grandkids. 
Like spend time around a grandparent. It's not long before you have names, ages, pictures, stories all day long. So let me ask you a question. How many grandparents have gone to training about how to talk about their grandkids? Gone to a class on that. There is no need for a class on that. Why? Because grandparents love their grandkids, which is why they love talking about their grandkids. Because what's on your mind and on your heart comes out of your mouth. Are you seeing the parallel? When Jesus is on your mind and he's on your heart, he'll come out of your mouth. If he's not coming out of your mouth, maybe he's not on our minds and our hearts as he should be. That's why this first encouragement is to rest in relationship with Jesus. Get alone with Jesus. Spend so much time with Jesus in relationship with him that he's always on your mind and your heart and he's always coming out of your mouth. That's why this first one is, I would argue, most important here. Come aside with me. Which then leads to the second word of encouragement. Let's reflect the compassion of Jesus. Let's reflect the compassion of Jesus. So listen to what we read next. Now, many saw them going off by themselves and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when he, Jesus, went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. So picture this. I I love the perspective here. Mark is recording this account. And he's basically describing how the disciples saw this crowd. So they see this crowd. And then the disciples look over at Jesus. And they see compassion on his face. You know what's interesting about that word compassion? Compassion. Every time this word is used in the New Testament, in the original language of the New Testament, it's always used to describe Jesus. So nine times in the Bible, this word is used, and every time it's used to describe Jesus, never used to describe somebody else. And there's a picture even there. There is a kind of compassion in Jesus that doesn't come naturally to us. A kind, a depth, a level of compassion that only Jesus can produce in us. A a compassion that comes from Jesus' reflection in our lives, that changes the way we see people. I hope that over the last couple of weeks, you have become more intentional to stop amidst the busyness of life and see people. Specifically to see And think about their spiritual condition as people who are like sheep without a shepherd. That's language from Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have gone astray from God, our shepherd. Each of us has turned to his own way. So for those of you who are visiting or new to the Bible or exploring Christianity, this is the way God describes the human condition. We have all been created for a relationship with God like sheep with a shepherd, to be loved and led and guided and protected by God, our shepherd. 
The problem in all of our lives is that all of us, and it looks different in different ways in all of our lives, but we've all turned aside from God, our shepherd, and his ways to our own ways. We've wandered like sheep. And as a result, when sheep wander, that leads to their destruction. And the picture in the Bible is if we continue to wander from God, then we, when we die, will spend eternity separated from him in judgment due our sin. But this is why Jesus came. Jesus saw us like sheep without a shepherd and came to us. This is the gospel. This is the good news. That term I've been using over and over again today, the good news of the Bible is that God has come to us in the person of Jesus. He has pursued us as a shepherd pursues sheep. That's language, imagery that we see in the Bible to describe God's love for each one of us, that God is pursuing you, that maybe even you being here today is a picture of God's pursuit of you. He loves you. And Jesus has come to live the life you could not live, a life of no sin, and then to die on the cross to pay the price for sin, even though he had no sin for which to die. And then to rise from the grave in victory over sin so that anyone who trusts in Jesus, what he did on the cross, his resurrection from the grave, if you put your trust in Jesus, you will be forgiven of all your sin and restored to relationship with God as your shepherd. We invite you to do that today, to receive the pursuing love of God for you. And then when you do, to see the world around you differently. To see people, not primarily according to what they look like or where they're from or how much they make or what position they hold or what lifestyle they embrace, but to see people as image bearers of God on a road that leads to eternity apart from God so that you might have supernatural compassion for them that leads you to share the gospel with them, the good news of the shepherd's love with them. See people not primarily as neighbors, coworkers, even family members, friends, strangers. See people as sheep in need of a shepherd and Love them with the love of Jesus in a way that leads you to what Jesus did. Teach them many things about God's love for them. So we'll share God's word as we reflect God's compassion. So can we just pause for a moment, church, and ask this question in our lives as a people on mission in this world around us? Do people in our city in our community, in our neighborhoods, know us for our compassion. Like, maybe get specific. Do members of our school boards think Christians are the most compassionate people in our community? What about abortion rights activists? Do they think Christians have more compassion for me than anybody else? Do our lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, intersex, queer, questioning, asexual, ally neighbors, do they know us personally as friends who listen closely to them and care deeply for them? 
How about members of the opposing political party from you or me? Do they think about us? That person may disagree with me, but they always honor me and are so compassionate toward me. What about Muslims? The Muslims in our community think, those Christians at NBC, they may believe differently than we do, but they are the most caring and compassionate people, never afraid of us, always hospitable to us. Let's reflect the compassion of Jesus as we speak the good news of Jesus. And let's rely, number three, Let's rely on the resources of Jesus. Now, this is where things get really good because the stage is now set for maybe Jesus' most famous miracle, the feeding of the 5,000. So let's read it. When it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Now, I want to, as we read this story, let's look at it through the lens of these disciples. So obviously this story had a huge effect. We could look at it through the lens of the 5,000 plus people who were being fed. So that's important. But I want us to think intentionally about the effect this story would have had on these disciples as they start, started it playing, as it started playing out in front of them, particularly as we've been in their shoes. So we've been on a short-term mission trip. We've seen all kinds of things happen. Now we've come aside with Jesus. We've seen his compassion for the crowds at work. But let's be honest. We're tired. We're hungry. And we're looking at 5,000 plus tired, hungry people. So imagine their surprise when Jesus answered them, you give them something to eat. And the emphasis here is on you. Like you guys do something about that. And they're thinking, us? Like the 12 of us? feeding 5,000 plus people a meal. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? They're like, we can't do this. There's too many of them, too little of us and our resources. I love this. They have no idea who is standing in front of them. It was like they were standing in front of Niagara Falls and saying they can't find any water. So he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And they'd found out, they said, five and two fish. And then it happens. He commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by the hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven, said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Oh, so much here. So you might write down these side notes, these really significant side notes. One, like Jesus meets the deepest needs in our lives. Without question, part of the point of this story is to show us that Jesus is sufficient to meet our deepest needs this is the only miracle story we see recorded in both Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the point is particularly clear when John tells this story in John chapter 6. And Jesus uses this miracle to show the crowds that it's not just about being fed for a meal. That he is the bread of life. 
John records how Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. What a statement. Jesus doesn't just give us bread. He is the bread. Jesus doesn't just give us what we need. He actually is what we need. Come to him and you won't be hungry. Come believe in him and you won't be thirsty. And this story is rich with Old Testament imagery and history all the way back to Exodus 15 when God had promised and provided bread from heaven for his people day after day after day, manna. And Jesus is saying, I am the bread from heaven. He says in John 6, 32, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. In other words, Jesus is In this miracle saying, God hasn't just sent bread to his people. God has given himself to his people. And this miracle is even looking forward to the feast that Jesus will one day provide for all who trusted in him from every nation and tribe and tongue who will gather at his table. The whole point is Jesus alone is able to meet the deepest needs in our lives. So to every soul that longs to be satisfied, to every person who has tried to fill your stomach with the things of this world, only to find yourselves hungry again, taste and see that the Lord is good, that Jesus is good and he alone is able to meet the deepest needs in your life. And then, so watch this, because this is where things go to a whole other level. Jesus not only meets the deepest needs in our lives, this story is showing that Jesus meets others' needs through our lives. So watch this and think about it with me. This is so important. If the point of this story was just to show Jesus' power to meet people's needs, including our needs, then he could have called down bread from heaven right there on the spot. Just falls into people's laps. And the people would have seen, and arguably they would have recognized even more so who he is. But instead, he prays, he asks for the Father's blessing, and then what does he do? He calls his disciples to his side. And he gives them the bread. Notice, Jesus doesn't give out one piece of bread in this story. Instead, he gives the bread to the disciples, and they distribute it. They set it before the people. Now, we're not told exactly how this miracle took place. Our imagination is free to wander about how these loaves suddenly begin to multiply from their hands into others' hands. Like, what a scene. But that's the picture, the hands of Jesus serving the hands of his disciples and the hands of his disciples serving 5,000 plus people. The miracle didn't bypass them. The miracle actually involved them. What a powerful picture of how Jesus is not only sufficient to meet needs in us, but he is gracious to meet others' needs through us. Disciples of Jesus are an extension of the grace and power of Jesus in the lives of multitudes of people. Wow. You just pause and think about that right where you're sitting right now. Are you surrounded by needs in people's lives where you live? 
You work, you go to school. In this world, together we're surrounded by so many needs in the city, five million plus people without Jesus in the world, surrounded by three billion plus people who have hardly heard about Jesus. We are surrounded by need. So in the face of such need, do not think for a second, what can I do about it? I have so little. Don't even begin to think that way. We are standing at Niagara Falls. There's plenty of water. Jesus stands ready to meet the deepest needs, not just of our souls. Jesus stands ready to meet the deepest needs in others' lives through our hands, through our feet, through our lives, through our work, through us, to use your life and my life and us together to meet others' needs. So brothers and sisters all across this gathering, hear this loud and clear. God wants to do supernatural, life-changing, eternity-shaping miracles in people's lives, and the miracle involves you. Just let that soak in right where you're sitting. The miracle involves me. What a thought. So let's rely on the resources of Jesus. That's the picture here. Let's rely on his resources. Let's realize that Jesus, the one who is able to meet people's deepest needs in us, and not just in us, but around us, he desires to work through us. So then let's be the most generous, sacrificial, giving, serving, proclaiming the gospel kind of people on the planet. And as we do, may Jesus multiply the resources he's given us for the good of others and the glory of his name among the nations, starting right here in Metro Washington, D.C., which inevitably leads to number four. Fourth word of encouragement. Let's receive the blessing of Jesus. Receive. Can you imagine the blessing of just being involved in this miracle? Like, put yourself in these disciples' shoes. Just a minute ago, you saw five loaves and two fish. And now Jesus has handed you some of that bread, and then you go back, and there's more, and there's more, and you're handing out, and you're looking at other disciples like, what's going on here? It's like, I don't know. Just keep giving it out. You're like, really? There were two fish. And like, yeah, it looks like, like a whole sea, like right here. I don't know how this happened, but it's, hey, can you imagine the joy on their faces? Like, the exhilaration. And being a part of this work, and you're the one doing it. And they're like, where'd this come from? We're like, ah, Jesus. <laughs> like, what an overwhelming scene. Joy and elation. And if that isn't enough, just being a part of it, can it be a coincidence that the disciples pick up leftovers and there are 12 baskets full. 12 baskets of bread in the hands of 12 disciples. They've given it all out, and then they're looking at 12 baskets, each of them holding a basket like, what just happened. This was awesome. Get the picture. When you are in relationship with Jesus, reflecting the compassion of Jesus, relying on the resources of Jesus, not just in your life, but for the sake of others' lives, there is blessing to receive. And this is life. It's not just life for others. It's life for others, and it's life for you. You're missing out on life if you're missing out on mission. With Jesus. You're missing out on life. So this call to mission trip, call to mission life 
It's not just for others' sake. It's certainly for their sake for all of eternity. But it's for your own sake. It's for my sake. Do do we want to miss out on this? No. We want to make this our life. And not just over the last two weeks. Keep it going. Let's live in this city where over 5.3 million people are without Jesus. Let's, let's see this city like Jesus sees it. The people in it with his compassion. Let's rely on his resources, not our own. And let's step into miracles that Jesus wants to do in people's lives this week in this city through us all as the overflow of relationship with Jesus. And then let's go wherever God leads into a world where over 3.2 billion people don't even have access to the good news about Jesus and where God desires to do all kinds of miracles, not just on his own, but through you and me. This is life. Let's live it to the full together, church. Would you bow your heads with me? I trust that we have heard from God in his word today. Not through my words, but from him and his word. So I ask you right where you're sitting, in this room and other locations online, one, have you put your trust in the bread of life Have you put your trust in Jesus for life, for eternal life? Have you come back to God, your shepherd? Some of you have never put your trust in Jesus. Others of you have wandered far from God as shepherd. And God, in his pursuing love, has brought you to this moment. I just invite you to pray to him where you are and just say, God, I... I want to return to you as the shepherd of my life. Maybe for the first time, to put my trust in Jesus, who died on the cross for my sins, rose from the grave. I want relationship with you. Or maybe for the first time in a long time, to come back to God, your shepherd, through Jesus. Savior and Lord of your life. And for all who know Jesus, who have relationship with Jesus, can we just pray together, God, help us, Jesus, help us to obediently do what your disciples got to do that day and be instruments in your hands vessels for the spread of your grace and your love in others' lives. God, we pray that this week we would be just as intentional, even more intentional about praying for opportunities to share the good news of your love in everyday life, with everyday love, caring for others with compassion, with your compassion. God, help us to see like you see Help us to speak your word. Grant us boldness, we pray. We pray that this week, more sheep might be drawn to you as shepherd. God, we we pray for this, and we pray that you would keep us. Don't let us 
go through a nice, comfortable Christian span on the American dream that stays silent with the gospel. Don't let us live that kind of life in the process of miss life. Lord, help us to step into a life of proclaiming, sharing your love in schools, workplaces, neighborhoods, with family and friends, and strangers, Starbucks. God, we pray that the gospel would spread like wildfire through our church family and through churches all across our city, here and among the nations. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.